Hey, hey, Mr. Whitaker. Hey, uh, you can call me General Edie Amin, or Edie for short. Oh, all right, Mr. Amin. Uh, well, uh, welcome to to hair and makeup. I am Jim. I'm going to be doing your your hair and makeup today. Jim, nice to meet you. Yeah. Uh, so you know, we we really want to get you as close to the actual real life Edie Amin as as possible, and so of course it makes sense. Yeah, let's just let's get you down in the chair and let's yes. start with this hair. I'm gonna just whoa, 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 hello, hello, hello. Yes, no, okay. Uh, I see you got the clippers, and yeah. I see you're bringing them to the front of my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is my hairline. And as you, I don't know if you're familiar with the black community, but to maintain our hairline is an important, important imperative. Yeah, no, no. I I cut Clarence Thomas's hair all the time. It's gonna look great. Is I know yes, I know how I this works. I think you you should stick to him doing that, and maybe we find a makeup appliance. I mean, this is there's some money in this movie, right? Yeah, I yeah. I mean, they okay. got me. I mean, my friend Forrest Whitaker. They got him. Ha <laughs> okay, Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, you know, we don't have to start with the hair. Let's start with some makeup. We 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 noticed that you know, Mister Amin, which is you, right? Uh, yes, is me. A, uh -huh. a, a little darker you know than you, you currently are so we're just going to apply a little bit of this bronzer here let's just that's uh, fine you know Edie has set out in the african sun yeah i have i have not i have not bathed in the ugandan sun like Edie has yeah yeah or yeah like myself good. has okay so that's the first layer let's go on the second layer here okay looking good yeah well, um hold, hold on hold okay. on you're not third layer you're not finishing well mm, sir uh, huh? Jack, James, whoever. Hello. Yeah. You, uh, my face ends there, but you, you seem to not have reached the end of my face and extended it into the rest of my body for makeup purposes. Yeah, but nobody's gonna see that. You know, it's just gonna be this. I this see part. it. I see it with my eyes. Okay. Well, you know, I'm just gonna go on to the fourth layer here. Well, no, uh, you should continue though. You should like continue with the makeup. Past my chin, oh wait, and around my mouth. Sorry, Mister Mister uh, Amin. I'm getting word that they need you on set. I think you're good. No, you, you, just, you just go ahead like that. I need you to finish. I think, I think it's my break time. I got to get ready to do Carrie Washington in about an hour. So I think yeah, you're oh, good. Have no, a good no, shoot, no. Mister Washington, Mister oh, Mister Amin. You got my name wrong. I'm Edie Amin. Oh hey there, hello, hello, oh, Forrest. Get the fuck out of here, David Oyelowo. Get the fuck out. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is a podcast where we deconstruct these white saver films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. And I'm the other one, Cameron Mason. And we we got one. We've been on like a weird Africa trip. Oh yeah, I feel I like the last couple of movies we've done. We unfortunately watched Ernest Goes to Africa. <laughs> that's how we got to the. That's how we got to the continent, y'all. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we had because we had done Blood Diamonds and um, that's true. You know, that's true. like a few other ones, but like our trips to Africa have not been 
uh, pleasant. We, we always <laughs> we're looking for enlightenment. We come back worse off. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's not our fault because it's these movies, but it is very interesting to kind of track, <laughs> you know, each of these different um, iterations that we go through. But we are very happy to have our guest today. Who, I mean, to to list all the places that she's written for would probably be t- take longer than the places she hasn't written for. Uh, she's very illustrious. This is Aramide Tanubu. Thank you guys so much yeah, for inviting for me. Sure. I <laughs> um, well, Aramide, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we, we like to talk with people about is just kind of their experiences covering film, you know, as, as a person of color and specifically as a black woman. Like I'm sure there's been a lot of different things that you've experienced. Uh, but I, I think, I guess this is a two-part question. Like, you know, in your opinion you know over the last couple of years like what what have you seen change i guess in terms of not only um you know the coverage of you know black film and black people in film uh but also you know kind of just from from your point of view like the way that you kind of interact with all of the different places that you write for, because I mean, again, you're bouncing around from publications that are more, you know, black oriented and, and, you know, kind of probably giving you a little bit more leeway in terms of some of the things that you do. And then you're writing for other places, which are more mainstream venues and they probably have not different interests, but like maybe aren't necessarily coming for a certain perspective that you might want to bring. So how have you kind of been able to navigate some of those spaces? And do you think that, you know, the, the coverage of, of black people in film has improved over the last couple of years? Cause we've, we've seen a lot of these pushes, right? Like every, you hear a lot about these initiatives and these things that different media companies are trying to do. And, you know, even the way that, um, you know, different festivals are trying to bring in, you know, more black journalists and, you know, trying to have, you know, more, diverse and varied coverage but you know like what you hear and what is actually happening may be two different things so being on the inside what is what has that been like for you it's been a real ride I've been doing this now for about seven years like my first big piece was about power the first season so I think it's like 2014 Mm -hmm. so there's a lot more to write about which is really exciting I think um unfortunately I think for black people and as a black woman I get pigeonheeled a lot. So I get a lot of calls around like history month, a lot of calls around women's history month to do things. Um, but that is changing for me. I would say I've written for now more recently variety to doom, which is Netflix, a Hollywood reporter. And I'm able to kind of step outside of just writing about black centered film and television, which I love. Like that is my creme de la creme. It's how I started my career, but I fought for so long to be like, Hey, like I'm a film critic with two degrees in film criticism and and uh, all of that. So like, please give me the opportunity to write about what I love. Like, I can write about anything. Um, so that has changed for me. But a lot of my colleagues, I think, still really struggle. It's really unfortunate when you see films that are, for example, directed and then led by Black women, and you get a white male perspective, and they completely miss the mark. So that's still uh-huh. extremely frustrating. Or another time, you'll be like, oh, I, I had built this rapport with X, Y, and Z company during Black History Month. I have all these great pitches, and then it's yeah. crickets until the next Black History Month. So I think it's twofold. I, I definitely don't think it's any publication. I do think it's still an old boys club. So you run into a lot of that with editors. Um, And also it's just a very different world. I mean, when I started, it was never like the most lucrative thing to do anymore. It's no longer, you know, Roger Ebert's world, (laughs) but 
<laughs> but you do, um, I don't know, you you do kind of have to fight for a lot of things. And I've always told, and I, what I tell younger writers coming after me is like, be able to write well, be able to deliver on time. And like at the end of the day, your work has to speak for itself. So that's really why I feel like I've gotten a lot of opportunities because I do good work and I turn right. it in on time. And a lot of people don't write and they don't pay attention to deadlines. So yes, you're going to come up against sexism if you're a woman, misogyny, racism, all of that stuff. But if you can stand on your work, like nobody can tell me that I can't write. Right. I that's, can't write. Right. that's right. That's right. So... That's right. Don't come tell no. me about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I guess my follow-up question would be, what are some films, because we've gotten some early film festivals, you know, already this year, and then summer's around the corner, a lot of things are being hyped. Like, what are some of the films coming out this year that you are excited about? Or that, What's the tea? Tell us, please. Yeah, if there's anything that, that maybe you've got a glimpse of that, you know, hasn't been released yet that people should probably be on the lookout for. For sure. Um, A.B. Rockwell's 1001 just dropped last week. It's excellent. Tiana Taylor's are is incredible. I live in New York. I'm from Chicago. Um, but this is an incredible New York story, a story about a Black woman. Uh, there is I Am Everything, which is um, Little Richard's mm. sort of biopic. Oh, wow. It's really good. Um, there's one on, uh, what is her name? Beth Ann Hardison, who is Kadeem Hardison's mother, which oh. I did not know until I was watching the documentary. That one is called Invisible Beauty. And it's about sort of her work in fashion, especially because, you know, fashion is still really, really white. Um, and she, all this work that she's done, that's excellent. There is one on Nikki Giovanni. It's probably, that was my favorite film of Sundance. It's called Ooh, To the Moon or something of that nature. But it's the same um, documentary couple team who did this really amazing documentary maybe 10 years ago about their son going to this prestigious sort of uh, prep school in New York City. I can't think of the name at the moment. American Promise, okay. that's the name of it. Um, well, this is their, one of their new projects. They won a really big award also. So that one, the Nikki Giovanni one, she's outstanding. What else have I seen that's been really, really good? Uh, I'm excited for the Clone mm, Tyrone. That just yeah. is my in June. Um, and I really liked Pretty Baby, which is Brooke Shields' documentary. That's on Hulu currently. Also on Hulu is Rye Lane. Oh, yeah. That's like, that's like this weekend for me. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really fun to watch. I'm trying to think what else. There's so much. Also, I think for me, I'm starting to be more TV leaning because right. there's just way more television. Um, to keep up with so I'm excited for like my friends have very mixed feelings about that but I love Bridgerton right. so I'm excited <laughs> about the I actually have those screeners so I can need to watch them and um yeah like there's just a lot going on all the time even I, I know can't, I literally looked up. at Twitter yesterday or this morning and Lizzo was on the Mandalorian this week so you know <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I up is down left is right you know hey <laughs> Well, there's there's definitely a lot to look forward to. So, you know, this the summer alone is going to be packed with movies. And then, you know, once we get into award season, you know, there's going to be a lot of things coming out, too. So um, hopefully a good year for film. We're looking forward to a lot of things. looking forward. To, yeah. Um, well, what we what we have to look forward to this week is uh, <laughs> if you could call it that. The Last King of Scotland. And when I when I came to your Ramada, you had, you know, a couple of films that you were looking at. But this is the one that we, we settled on. And what was it? about this movie that specifically are like, oh, we, we need to talk about that. 
for the last name Scotland, I couldn't remember it. I know I've seen it before. Uh, it came out in 2006, so I don't do math. So however, that was like half a lifetime ago, literally. Um, 16 years or so, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. more. And I was like, oh, like it has Kerry Washington, who went on to do like Scandal and more incredible work. And it has, you know, uh, Forrest Whitaker, who I adore from directing Wings to Exhale to his current work on um, MG- MGM Plus, <laughs> no uh, Godfather of Harlem. So I was like, oh, like this will be like, you know, a, a cool thing to revisit because it'll be really fresh for me because I don't, I really don't remember watching it. So that's kind of what I wanted to look at. I'm always interested as, you know, someone who has a parent from the continent, like wanting to see what our depictions are of Africa, of this specific, this specific man who was a, this horrible dictator. So I was just really interested to see like what that perspective was. And it was really interesting. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, I think... I was I was in the same boat in that my family is an Oscar family and so whenever there's big Oscar movies out we always try to see a couple of them you know as many as you can probably fit in and so this was the the big thing about this movie was Forrest Whitaker's performance you know what I mean everybody was raving about it he goes on to win a whole bunch of awards and so you know you're kind of like well this is one of those movies to see you know in that year and I also don't remember it <laughs> like it's i i remember like forrest whitaker commanding the screen and having just like this incredible presence in this role but like what it was about the events that happened you know like <laughs> the basic plot of the movie like nothing you know nothing nothing <laughs> stuck with me so watching oh, it yeah it was like a woof because cameron when did you first see this so I saw it maybe like it came out in 20, uh, 20, 2006. 2006 uh, yeah. I probably, yeah, I probably saw it like 2007. My dad bought it uh, from the Hustle Man on the block along oh, with like okay. several other movies. <laughs> and so it was always like the, the, it's the DVD and the CD jewel case. You know how we love that. Yeah, yeah. Sitting, sitting on the mantle. And I was like, you know, pop this in one day. And I, I watched it. And like you guys, 20 minutes later, I could not remember. I could not remember, like, a single thing that happened in the movie. And then I kind of just went on, you know, with the one thing I remember, though, sadly. sadly there's a fart joke oh, very well, early in this movie. And yeah. uh, I that's all I remember is, like, this deeply, deeply serious movie with a fart joke <laughs> in the first act. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I have the time anymore. And here we are again, trying desperately to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Was it now? Was it a clean copy, or was it one of my favorites, which is like oh. in the theater you can kind of see people, you know? What I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, my man's actually shout out to Hustle Man from Baltimore. He actually had a really good angle going on, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what the quality was back in the day. It was three sixty p. I don't even know if I was seeing the actual movie. It was like you know. <laughs> You you always thought there was like, the Gen Z said oh no Gen Z doesn't know the Gen Zers have oh, they don't they this. don't know they don't know that <laughs> people used to sit in movie theaters with a camcorder tucked <laughs> under their shoulder and record the movie for you and hopefully give you that same experience now you'd hopefully give them like five dollars yeah <laughs> <laughs> but and exact and not getting the same experience at all. <laughs> But you can bring Popeyes to both, so it's, it's all good. It's yeah, all good it's either good. way. Uh, no, it was not a good movie at that then, and I don't I don't think it came across very well yeah. this time in 2023. Well, 
So for for just the background of it, it's a movie directed by Kevin McDonald. For people who aren't familiar with that name, what a resume my guy has because he started off as a documentary filmmaker and you know went on to to get a lot of acclaim you know in that respect but then like moved into film like just general filmmaking with the last king of scotland so he made being mick which was like a documentary about mick jagger and then he did touching the void which is another documentary and then he just last king of scotland in 2006 but then he goes on to do a couple more documentaries. Most recently, he did the Whitney documentary in 2018. Oh, wow. And then he did the Bob Marley documentary in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's kind of gone back and forth between documentary filmmaking and just regular film. And this was like his his first foray into that. But then on the screenwriting side, you got Peter Morgan, who he, people might know as the playwright behind the audience and Frost Nixon. Mm-hmm. Also the screenwriter behind Frost Nixon, behind Rush, behind... Uh, the deal and also the co-creator and showrunner of the crown. Um, So that's his pedigree. And then you've got Jeremy Brock who did the last King of Scotland, obviously this movie, but also Charlotte gray and the Eagle. So like, this is a movie with people behind the camera who are like legit people, right? Moving on. You've got obviously Forrest Whitaker, one of the early appearances of James McAvoy. You've got Kerry Washington, you've got Gillian Anderson, and the movie well, I budget, fully forgot was in this movie. Fully yeah. forgot. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, it is has a budget of six million dollars, and the box office was forty eight point four million. So this movie cleaned up at the box for budget of six million. Right, which is like, I mean, I can believe it in ah, the sense yeah. of like, I guess there's so. not. They filmed in Uganda. Right. On location at a lot of these places. And like, there's not a ton happening, but mm. also six million makes you believe there's a lot of there's a lot of extras in this movie. <laughs> and I have to believe those people were not getting paid uh, scale. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> they probably were, were cutting some corners here and there. But most famously, uh, this movie got a lot of acclaim for Forrest Whitaker, who went on to win. Uh, let's just run down the awards. He wins the Academy Award for Best Actor. Um, he wins a Golden Globe. He wins at uh, the British Academy Film Awards. And just like all of these different film festivals, like he's getting tons and tons of acclaim for this movie. But wouldn't you know it, this movie's really about James McAvoy's character. <laughs> <laughs> Who, and we'll just say this off top, so nobody's confused, is not a real person, does not exist, is a, a composite of multiple people, <laughs> only one of who is white. And was not a doctor. Oh, uh, so man. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But I will do the five minutes this week. I'm not going to claim I'll get it in five minutes, but I think I can. I can pare it down. I think you quickly. actually can't, because um, also the things that happen in the middle of the movie are just funsies. No, apparently, s- stuff is just going on. Um, yeah, set you up. All right, three, two, one. So we start off in, in 1970 with our our boy, Nicholas Garrigan, who has just graduated from medical school. He's hyped. He's jumping in the water with his friends. Everything's going up Nicholas, right? <laughs> Goes home to dinner with his dad, who's like, yeah, I mean, not as good as my degree, but like, small claps for you. Uh, welcome to the family business. Like, we're going to be doctors together. And at that 
realization nicholas is like fuck that like i don't want to work with this man i don't want to do anything i need to get out of here so what does our boy do well he grabs the globe in his room and says wherever my finger lands that's where i'm gonna go spins the globe lands on canada don't want to go to canada spins it again (laughs) lands on uganda great smash cut to uganda so he's on a bus (laughs) It, I, we don't know how he got there. Apparently, he has done no research on the country he's going to. He just got on a plane and then got on a bus and started going to his destination. On the bus meets, I guess, the black woman who was just simply there to narrate what we're seeing for him. She, They pass some soldiers. He's like, what's going on? Oh, there's a coup going on. A coup? Yeah. Well, you know, Idi Amin, he's the general. He's taken over. In fact, there he is. We drive by him as he's on a tank. Um of course, Nicholas then has to have sex with this woman for no yep. reason at all. And then they continue on and he arrives at the missionary uh, hospital that he's working at at this village in Uganda, which is headed up by Gillian Anderson and her husband. And it quickly comes to his realization that this is actually not what he wanted to do. It hits him very fast that like he is in a missionary hospital in Uganda where there's a lot of people who need a lot of medical attention. He's doing a lot of work for very little reward. Not what he envisioned his life being specifically in his 20s. And so he's getting a little bit restless. And one day there's a lot of excitement in the village. Apparently, Idi Amin, the new president, is coming through to give a speech. Nicholas is like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Julian Anderson's like, we also have work to do. And he's like, no, we have to go see the new president. And so they go and see him. And this is our first look at Forrest Whitaker as Idi Amin, noticeably darker, uh, but we're gonna talk about that makeup. We're gonna talk about. <laughs> giving a speech to the people, and it's all about how Uganda is going to be this basically this black utopia. There's going to be new hospitals, there's going to be new schools, there's going to be new roads. Everybody's going to be empowered. Everything is going to be great. He starts dancing. You know, he's hyping everybody up. Um, Nicholas is like, "Whoa, who's this guy? I love this guy." Jill Anderson's like, "Wait, hold a minute." <laughs> seen this before you know what i mean they were doing this for the last president that didn't turn out so well nick was like man whatever like Idi Amin is my guy uh coincidentally as they're driving back Idi Amin gets into some kind of accident i guess his car hit a cow or something it's not really clear what happened but his soldiers come and grab nicholas bring him over they say hey we need a doctor Idi Amin's hand is fucked up you know we need somebody to come and look at this so he goes over the cow is on the side of the road. It's it's in pain. Probably needs to be something needs to be done to it. But he's focused on Idi Amin. But this cow just won't shut up. It's <laughs> mooing. It's it's crying out in pain. So Nicholas does the only reasonable thing, which is grab Idi Amin's gun from <laughs> the top of his car and just shoots the cow. And everybody stops. Guns are trained on him, obviously. And Idi Amin is like, "What? What? Well, what's up with you? What's your story? You know, are you?" are you british and he's like no i'm Sc- i'm scottish look at my football jersey and he didn't mean immediately lights up scotland i love scotland it's you know i mean i fought with scotland when i was a soldier it's the greatest place next to uganda you know like can we trade shirts like give me your shirt i'll give you my you know military jacket and so this is even nicholas is even more in love with this man now and so much in love that he goes back to the compound and just tries to have sex with Jillian anderson who's like wait a minute first married second of all you're like 12 third like i don't again i don't think you know what's happening here like it's nice to be wanted but like no nah, not what i'm into and so um the next day Idi means people come back to the missionary 
church, a missionary hospital, and they're like, hey, Nicholas, Idi Amin wants to see you. Like, you need to come over right now immediately. Nicholas is like, I mean, I guess, you know, it's the president. I'll go see him. So they, they take him out to, you know, the presidential compound. And Idi Amin is like, how would you like to transform medicine in Uganda? I want you to be one of my, you know, new health ministers. I want you to help transform everything. And I want you to be my personal doctor. Nicholas is like, oop. <laughs> Nicholas, was Nicholas, like, <laughs> Nicholas was like well you know that sounds great but I'm still really interested in having sex with Jillian Anderson and I'd like to go back <laughs> to <laughs> the Wherever she hospital is. and you know, he means like look we can fly her out like we could do whatever you want like you know why don't you just stay the night have dinner you know do all this stuff so like he basically wines and dines Nicholas he stays he meets all these important people uh, you know, and he wakes up the next day and he's kind of like, you know what, like being this close to the president, even though this man seems slightly unhinged, isn't the worst. I maybe I could get used to this, you know what I mean? Like, I'm okay. And so, at this point in the movie, we just basically spend close to 30 to 40 minutes with Nicholas getting to know Idi Amin. Like Cameron said, there's a scene where. Idi Amin, I guess, has gas and he <laughs> just thought he was uh, gonna die. <laughs> which I think the scene is supposed to kind of infer how paranoid he is about everything. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Nicholas is getting a small taste of that. But, you know, Nicholas is going to the hospital where uh David Ayello is working at. I guess he had this job before Nicholas got the job. And, you know, he's working at this hospital, so Nicholas is working there. He's also standing in for Idi Amin at like important meetings when I guess either he just doesn't feel like going or is going other places. And so he's deciding on architecture and buildings and, you know, kind of being enticed into this life. Small glimpses of maybe, again, this man is is dangerous or a little off. But for the most part, Nicholas is like, this is great for me. I'm having a good time. That is until everything starts to crumble and multitudes, right? So Nicholas, one, like gets a new car from Idi Amin and they're like, yo, why don't you drive me out to the airport? He's like, great, let's do it. Unfortunately, there's an ambush that happens as they're on the way. Uh, The former president's forces are still trying to regain control of the country. They come out, they shoot everything up. Nicholas, again, is able to escape because he's the hero of the movie and drives Idi Amin away. But Idi Amin is like, yo, somebody snitched, somebody told my route where I was going. I can't trust anybody like Nicholas. You need to get even closer to me now because like I'm paranoid and I, and I don't trust a single person. Also watch me shoot these people. <laughs> and that's maybe when Nicholas first gets the first taste of like, he might kill me if Uh-oh. he just is having a bad day. But does that stop Nicholas from sleeping with one of his wives? No. <laughs> Nicholas immediately is like, you know what I should do? Sleep around with the president's one of his wives at the party that, he is at <laughs> and then continue to sleep with this woman this also old, old man i i see one of the president's advisors speaking to a white man that i don't know something's up i'm gonna snitch on this man so he goes and he tells tahiti amin <laughs> Amin is like yo i think all the asians should get out of my country and nicholas is like i don't know if that's a good idea but then later Idi amin is like you should have told me not to let like ban all the Asians from my country. And he's like, I did. It's like, but you didn't convince me, Nicholas. <laughs> right. And so now he's now he's in deep with him again. And then it turns out that sleeping around with the president's wife might 
end up with her getting pregnant. And so now <laughs> the media is turning on Idi Amin. His wife is pregnant unbeknownst to him. And uh, it turns out that that advisor that was speaking to that random white man in the hotel was actually trying to get penicillin for the people of Uganda. And Nicholas got him killed by Idi Amin. <laughs> so everything's quickly coming down on him. And then when Kay, who was played by Carrie Washington, is desperate for an abortion, desperate to get, you know, this this baby out of her, because she knows what that means for her. Nicholas seems mildly concerned, but she's very much so aware that if this gets out, she's dead, right? And so Nicholas gets pulled away to a press conference that Edie Amin is having where he's charming the rest of the, the Western world. And it's too late to get to Kay, who has been abducted by Edie Amin's people, and then quite literally chopped into pieces and placed into the basement of the hospital that Nicholas works at. They turned everyone um, to a turducken. That was wild. <laughs> I for, Actually, I didn't remember that because I couldn't see what it actually was. When I had the bootleg, I was like, what is that? It was just a mess. It's just a mess. And then I got the HD, you know, with 2023. Yeah. And oh, I was like, boy. oh, 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 oh no. Very complex. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nicholas is very much so. I need to get the fuck out of here. Except Idi Amin has had his people rush through his room, take his passport. So now he's stuck. So <laughs> with the only move left, he goes to the white man that he's been talking shit to this whole movie. Who's like, actually, buddy, I'm going to need you to do something for me if you're trying to get out of here. Kill Edie. <laughs> the closest to him, you have the ability to basically poison him without, you know, anybody suspecting the wiser. And so he gets these pills, you know, Edie Amin is constantly asking him for, you know, boosters, injections, you know, pills for headaches, things like that. So he, he takes these pills that he switches with poison, gives them to Edie Amin. Before Edie Amin can take them, though, phone call those hostages on that plane going to Israel, they're in Uganda. You should come here now to kind of, you know, I guess he's trying to use this as a situation to, in his mind, advance himself politically in the rest of the world. And so he's going there. Nicholas has to come with him. Uh, the pills that Nicholas was hoping he would take actually get taken by his top security advisor. Nicholas is kind of anxiously watching the security advisor has been eyeing him for the last 10 minutes decides you know what let's see what these pills are about tries to give them to one of the soldiers nicholas rushes that man basically like slaps it out of his mouth we don't see it but i think he he just confesses or they infer that he's trying to poison the president so he gets taken Idi Amin walks in is talking to shit he's like yo you thought you were going to come into africa be the white savior you know, like basically be the, the hero amongst the savages. You know, your whole life has been false. Nothing about your life has been real, which is actually true because he's not a real person. But right, right. <laughs> uh, says that the, the only real thing that's going to happen to you is your death. And then describes this horrific thing where they used to hang people by hooks who were like thieves in his old village. And so that's what they're going to do to him. By a meat yeah. hook. Yeah, they yeah. put meat hooks into Nicholas, hang him mm. uh, because... At this point, Edie, I mean, I suspect always knew that Nicholas was sleeping with his wife, but I'm like sad. is very much so aware of that. And so like, this is where Nicholas dies, except not because David Oyelowo, very specifically, even in the script, saves him and Nicholas asks why. And he says, I don't know. I literally <laughs> don't have a good answer for you. You actually probably should be killed but you're a white man 
and the world will listen to what you have to say. Uh. So I'm going to attempt to save you. Inexplicably, Nicholas walks out with the rest of the hostages that Idi Amin is letting go, even though I suspect everybody knows what this man looks like. He's not even trying to. He's just walking with them. I would think a soldier would look at him and say, aren't you Nicholas? Where are you going? That's you, right? <laughs> but he's able to get on the plane, take off. The plane takes away. Idi Amin learns much too late that Nicholas is on the plane and rushes out to him like a scorned lover in a rom-com whose like, girlfriend just got a job in New York, is, is flying off on the plane and just kind of watches it go. I mean, I kind of expected him to honestly like shake his fist and like jump up and down and shake his fist like, no! Well, because it's like, I will talk about it in a second, but I that whole ending sequence is crazy. This uh, movie's a cartoon. <laughs> but then, that, so that's that's basically it. Then we get like a coda, which is like, hey... So Idi Amin was deposed not that long after these events of this movie and then like died in Saudi Arabia in 2003. Yeah. And that's it. So that's <laughs> That's the last king of Scotland. I don't even know where to start. And I think what I do want to start with, though, is. So he's Nicholas Garrison is not real. He's not a real person. But the movie is about him so much so that there's barely a scene that he's not in. And that is not from his perspective. And so, like, this is a movie. That we're supposed to, one, believe is if. When they say based on a true story, you know, it's always like, all right, not all of this is true. Maybe some of it's true, but this is even more not true than true. Like, this is even more just like, we're just making shit up. And I, I just wonder, like, what do you what do you think this movie is for? Right. Like, what do you think this movie, not even the message of it, but like the purpose of it, because I get the sense that we're trying to communicate the dangers of you know political radicalism and you know dictatorships or africa i guess yeah mm. uh, but, but it feels like a lesson that we could learn it just if we took all of that out of it you know what i mean because like if this was a movie about like a human who gets transported up to space with like an alien dictator who's like just taken over a planet and is finds themselves like a close advisor to him and slowly learns that this person is like a dictator like that's as true as, as this movie is you know in terms of like factual information so like right. when when it when it comes to this level of like we're just coming straight out our ass with uh <laughs> you know like a, a story do you feel like it's it's do you feel like it's worse than if they had just made a fictional movie about this? Like if they just went straight fictional African country, fictional African dictator, you know, and we're just basing it on that. Cause I, I, I don't like either of those scenarios, but <laughs> at least that is like one in which you could say, okay, like we're not taking history lightly. This feels like 
not even that Idi Amin is a cartoon character, but we barely get into what the man actually did. Like, not just the killing of people, but like a lot of horrible things that went on in Uganda for um, like this movie's. I don't really know. They don't give us a good time frame of like how long these events are supposed to be taking place. But like he was president from like 71 to like 79. So a lot of time to do a lot of things. This movie feels like he does some things very quickly in succession. (laughs) You're right. It does feel like two months versus like, I mean, yeah, a decade, right? <laughs> of these of these issues. So that's like number one where the movie is just like losing you because you don't have an accurate timetable. It kind of seems like he enters the country and then like all but liberates it, and you're like, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, well, who's who's saving who here? You know. And funny enough, I, I mean, you ask about the movie's purpose, and I think that's what kind of lingered with me with this watch this is being my second watch of it i kind of see it as like and it it sucks that i kind of had to um have this example in order to fully understand it but you know this week we're we're dealing with a lot going on in america our uh, an ex-president is historically being indicted and Mm -hmm. set up for court trial um this, this that man is a fascist, right? That man is a fascist dictator, and this and so is Idi Amin. And I think this movie, the only thing it actually kind of really does set out to do is paint a portrait of a dictator and how uh, charisma and you know character can seduce a nation or seduce a group of people into maybe voting for this person supporting mm-hmm. them beyond what they think is, you know, due to that person um, and how they can be charmed by them. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the, the use of this character being a doctor and a white doctor, it kind of says like, even the smartest man can be duped by somebody whose, you know, charisma is just off the but chart. But he's not smart. <laughs> he's obviously, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> He's actually an imbecile. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Like he knows, he knows nothing about even like the history of Uganda politics. Nothing. He just comes in here like, "Welcome to the party." He's fun of and he's just very foolish. And I think that's what irritated me so much mm. about this. If you want a portrait of a dictator? Like we don't understand who Idia I mean is other than like this like crazy deranged man because what James McAvoy's character only sees is really the fringes of who this person is like who was he as a general who was he prior to this and he's always just kind of like he's his personal quote-unquote doctor but you don't see him and like what makes him tick and what makes him move other than sort of like rage um and that's what's so problematic about this it's like oh like Yay, like, you know, but but he also has no history or understanding of what the former president before him right. did to the country. And also yeah. the movie so doesn't that- the, the movie doesn't enlighten you about any of that either. So you're experiencing it that way. Yeah. It's really baffling. <laughs> well, it's it's but it feels like a choice too, because right, like yeah. you know, not to jump to reimagining, but like the choice for it to be a white man and you know, this movie is based on a book which the director says 
they they changed a lot from book to screen um but like the book is also about nicholas garrigan who's not a real person so you know what i mean like the book is the book is a fictionalization they're adapting it from the book but also loosely adapting it from the book so it's a loose adaptation of a loose adaptation of history right it's one of the worst and game like... of telephones i'm hearing about <laughs> jeez but like again, that in, there's an intentionality in making Nicholas Garrigan the lead character and a white man when you could have had it just be a, a Ugandan doctor who gets roped into all of this because like that difference in in gaze, right? Like the white gaze, very much so, like taking center stage in this film. I I guess is to get white people to watch a movie about Africa. Like I, I mean, think yeah. that is the intention. It's almost like they're asking us to like walk into a maze that's on fire. So, but James McAvoy is a firefighter, so we can hold. <laughs> that makes it a little bit safer, and like he'll keep he, he promise to get out of this at the end. There's no real danger, um, but that's how you can get your way in. It's it's really, it's almost like insulting. <laughs> I mean, let's just break down his character, right? Because like you said, he he picks Uganda basically just at random, right? Comes there no knowledge of anything but like the arc of the movie is confusing because i'm not quite sure what the intention is initially whether you're supposed to think he is i think you're supposed to think he is a little bit you know like in over his head like he's maybe underestimating the situation and a bit arrogant and what he's able to control but we're we i think we very much so are supposed to sympathize with him by the end of the film like we want him to live or should want him to live and yet again david yellow is like i this is just what the plot's telling me to do Doug. Like, uh. i'm saving you because because but like it it totally undercuts the film like he should that the satisfying conclusion to his story is he is killed by idiomy <laughs> because he was foolish enough to think that he could one have any influence over the situation but two like is responsible for countless deaths and like the 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 total just like totally ignoring countless other deaths right like as right. much death as right. he is specifically responsible for he is secondhand responsible for a lot of other people's deaths it doesn't even like it's not even penetrating him right like so the fact that he is saved to again in a he's a fictional character who is saved in order to i guess tell the world about it, yeah you know i mean but even in the coda of the movie it says that man is president for many more years and then got to die of old age in a different country you know what i mean so it's not like Oh, Idi Amin got you know brought to justice because you know James McAvoy survived and got back on the plane. It's like I guess he just went home. He he, he <laughs> got out of there, and then he worked at like a Walgreens. Was like, damn, I had a crazy year last year. Oh yeah, these are the check. This is the check mix. <laughs> so I think that's that's what that's what's most insulting to me is like we're robbed of the catharsis of seeing this character meet his end in the way that he should because then david ayello gets shot in the face gets shot in the face <laughs> can, 
Can I tell you? I'm... That's not even the worst death, though. That's not even no, the worst not, death. It's not. By far. By a, like a country mile. Which is, that's also super gross, right? He gets to the country and he's just like, I'm just going to have sex with the women. Like, the, these women are beautiful. It, 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 it reads like a, like a, like a, like a really gross travel blog. Like some, some airport, is, um, I mean, some passport bro was like, yo, I'm going to God. The women of you got are <laughs> so nice. They'll cook you dinners and have sex with you. <laughs> and you just like, just get out of here, dude. You're, you're so gross. Like, as soon as he's off the plane, he meets one woman, has sex with her. He has sex with another woman. And then he has sex with the president's wife. He just thinks he's bold enough to just be like, oh, I made in good with the president of a country. I'll sleep with his wife. That, was, that sounds and, interesting to me. <laughs> and and was going to have sex with Gillian Anderson. And she's they, walking she's walking away from him. And he's like, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You're the one trying I'll, to have sex I'll, with a married. She's the one who gets to decide if this is okay or not. You don't get to tell her that it's okay because you want to have sex with her. There's no consequences for you. <laughs> and it's also ironic because her character is like technically his boss's wife. Yeah. So wow. Like, the cojones on this guy <laughs> in general, just going to Uganda, just sleeping with the women of a country. To to no end to see to see whatever happens and then ingratiates himself with a dictator and like when shit has actually hit the fan he's like oops I think I made an oops <laughs> I made an oopsie um, I need to get out of here post haste <laughs> well because he's so steadfast in his defense of Amin you know like right. early on when the I don't really know what that guy's job is he might be a diplomat he might be a intelligence officer I I don't know but like. People are trying to low-key, you know, in the quiet part, say, hey, yeah, we kind of had a hand in installing Amin as ruler of this country. And we, you're just keeping an eye on things. And he's like, oh, so you're going to spy on him because he's a <laughs> black man in power? And then they're like, hey, you know, like, has anything weird been going on with President Amin? You know, we've been hearing things and like, what things? What do you what, what are you trying what are you to insinuate about? <laughs> about my man Idi Amin? And then you know, like at the at the pool where he's like, yeah, okay, so what you you want you want to show me pictures? Okay, I'll go have drinks with you. And they show him pictures. He's like, oh, damn. oh, oh well, so he's he's oh. killing a lot of people. He did okay. that. Oh man, <laughs> but I really like him. Though. Oh damn, I guess. It's kind of like if I came here from Uganda and then like heard about Trump on the radio. It's like, y'all hate him. He's so loud. He spells words wrong. He can't even. He can't even write like his own words for him. You know, this is this is great. Oh, come on, man. He's a little, so loud. Has a beautiful wife. Where where is she? I haven't seen her recently, but apparently she's she's wonderful. How do you guys not like this guy? And then like he just reads one article. It's like, oh, oh damn. I should have said all that stuff about that guy to everyone I met. <laughs> but it's also fucked up because then the British intelligence officer ends up being right. Yep. It like it, he, but another white also double saved everything. Yeah. Right. Like it's kind of like, oh yeah, we really should be listening to these foreign powers trying to, you know, foreign meddle spies. in yeah, like these affairs because they're actually trying to help people and you but it's just like this doesn't make sense like, I don't 
installing him in the first place right. so they knew what kind of like sicko he was yeah. as the it, uh, I hate to like compare this you know it's something completely different but it's kind of like um, I don't know if anybody's out there is watching Snowfall but Snowfall is in its final season it's basically a show about you know the Colombian drug trade with America during the 1980s and how America brought the coke here America brought crack here <laughs> and gave it to black people and then we're in the final season where everybody's trying to like we gotta we gotta tell them what the American government's doing. It's like guys, guys, the American government brought the coke here. It's it's their <laughs> fault. Don't tattle to them. And it, 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 it's it's wild that whole like third act of the movie where he's basically uh, Garrigan's kind of like understanding how bad Idi Amin is, and sadly the first thing he. Or, other than the pictures, is a woman he slept with, and then like thirty minutes later, she has been turned into a Christmas dinner, <laughs> and he's just like, "Oh, I can't believe he was able to do that. Oh, I shouldn't even. Oh, what? What? My world is imploding on me." And you're like, "Guy, guy, if you saw those pictures at a bar, having a Heineken, and you saw pictures of just murdered people, and they, and then they told you your best friend did it, how would you not?" How would you not believe that? How would you not want to leave then? Right. You're well, in a foreign it's, country. <laughs> it's interesting because like you're you're juxtaposing him with again, say K, Kerry Washington, and even like his, I guess, other advisor, who are people who are like complicit in so much as they don't have a choice, right? Like they're kind of it's too deep. And so it's all about survival to them, right? Mm. Like they're making choices based on I'm trying to stay alive, right? Meanwhile, Garrigan is just like, I don't know. Like, what, <laughs> what am I going to do? I guess, you know, what if I just went over here and like, you know, fucked around and meddled in other people's lives? And like, you've got people who are like desperately trying to not just stay in Idi Amin's good graces, but like have a real firsthand knowledge of what he's capable of. And, like, anything I can do to just, like, one more day, right? You know, because, <laughs> like, for 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 Kay specifically, and, like, this is the second time Carrie Washington's been on the podcast because she was on Django. And similarly in Django, got a similar raw deal where her character had zero agency. Nope. Um, and, like, her character in this movie is arguably ten times more interesting than James McAvoy's because, like, she yep. is not only like trying to keep herself alive, but trying to keep her children safe. Right. And like specifically the one that's epileptic that Idi Amin is just like totally, you know, I'm not even going to do anything for that kid. Like she's dealing with so many things. Right. Mm -hmm. She's, I believe she is the third wife, you know, mm -hmm. out of, I don't know if he said three, cause in real life he had a lot yeah. more, but okay. Yeah. So she's the latest wife. Which means even more so, like, you would think she's she's under the two other wives who probably have feelings about her. Uh, they have their own kids. And so, you know, and everybody is just trying to not cross this man, right? And so, like, she moves to another house separate from everybody else. You know, like, Garrigan is never really asking her about, like, what is going on. You know, like, he just assumes that this is maybe just assume this is the one that he's got a chance with because he didn't mean it's not like 
hyper focused on her but like even that that scene at the party just to to set the scene up they're at a party that Idi Amin is throwing he is like trying to get Garrigan not necessarily back on his side but gets senses that Garrigan is maybe started to grow a bit distant having witnessed some of the atrocities firsthand and so like offers him a woman basically is like she's gonna take care of you you know like come to this party we're gonna have a good time yada yada he's getting increasingly more drunk k is around and like they end up together and like they go off to like what i assume is not even <laughs> like a different it's just like if you were at your your friend's house and you went to hook up like in the, yeah in the room downstairs. next to their room yeah. you know what i mean like not like they didn't go anywhere <laughs> you mean um, let's go downstairs you mean in the basement downstairs is fine <laughs> but k is kind of like oh wait like maybe we should it and he's like now nah, we should we should have sex uh <laughs> then afterwards <laughs> like you can you can see the real once somebody knocks on the door like you can see the real fear in her eyes her like, eye, yeah realization of like what is possible and he's just kind of like like a college kid you know who like somebody caught and he doesn't want to like let people know that they were sleeping together he's like, oh, just just come out two minutes after me and nobody will notice you <laughs> that is what he says yeah, leaving wife off white in the middle of this party. He really thought he was slick with that plan, not knowing that the men on the other side of that door have guns. <laughs> and it's and I think but I I think that is a great point too, because he is positioned in this film as the only white man, right? Like the only white man in Idi Amin Circle, the only white man in the hierarchy of this government and is given like an insane amount of power for somebody who like not only has no business being there in the first place but is also unqualified just on principle right he's a doctor he's not he doesn't have any you know and Idi Amin is asking him and the movie is asking you to believe that Idi Amin would then go to this man for actual advice about how he should be running this country right you know what i mean like not just hey you know out of let's just a sounding board of people you know opinions about what should happen that no nicholas you tell me it, literally one of the scenes after you know he has this big blow up he's like nicholas you tell me what to do now and then he says okay here's what you do and he's like bet let's do that <laughs> no notes like let's just go with that plan <laughs> it's it's wild how fast that happens you know it's the scene with the cow uh he's fixing his hand and then like instantly he's like come come to my house i'll give you the shirt off my back these military pins that i earned yeah they can just hang in your house like it just keep it keeps leveling up he keeps asking him what do i do i'm gonna go do that the thing you say i'm not gonna not listen to you. i'm gonna go do that on television probably and that'll well, be my public figure yeah well there's even scenes where like nicholas is like getting bold and like saying things to him and you can tell Idi Amin is getting irritated but then it's like you know i appreciate these conversations because i rarely get to have you know frank honest conversations with people and nicholas never says i wonder why that is i wonder <laughs> why 
he's too busy like loving this lavish life like he's away from the missionary hospital so that's like the first thing you see he's like delighted to be in like a very plush environment where he can have cars and like service at his bank calls and things like that completely different from working in a tent trying to give you know impoverished children medical attention and I think what else is so bizarre when they first meet at that whole accident situation like I mean like fawns over him because he's a white man from Scotland and it's like in what world does this happen like like this doesn't even make any sense he's already like he moves through this whole thing because he's getting his ego boasted because he doesn't have to be second in command and his father's like family practice in the hills of Scotland yeah. so he's like loving it this is why he's clinging on to this bond and this relationship that he's he's looking away because he likes to like have sex with people's wives <laughs> and in an opulent environment like this is what he's living for so he closes his eyes and looks the other way and it's like time and time again i think you are watching the movie and you're kind of like all right and this is the moment right where this falls apart this is the moment where, this is the moment where something bad is going to happen to him and it's not until literally the very end of the movie where something actually happened like there's actual consequences he he fucked around too many times literally fucked around and then metaphorically fucked around too many times and then found out yeah, when he was on the meat hooks the actual message of this movie how much fucking around will it take for you to actually find out is that the log line i think so because it's like again Idi Amin so i think Let's let's play this because Forrest Whitaker deserves it. Like he, sure. he did it. He For was sure. the captivating part of this film. But I think part of the danger of movies like this is that people don't want to know more than what the movie is telling them. You know what I mean? Like mm. Idi Amin is a figure that before this movie i was like the cannibal guy like that's who he is right like there's not a lot of deeper diving into you know his history and the history of uganda and like all these other things and so the movie gives you a very sparse like (laughs) look at what was actually happening and Mm -hmm. like the performance that forrest whitaker gives is is dynamic and you know very much worthy of awards but also like Idi Amin as a real person when you watch videos of him speaking and you you know read up on him like yes charismatic yes very much so like somebody who was able to you know create this cult of personality and like rise to power also not dumb also like very vicious and like calculating right like yeah Yes, he he was he was he was an unhinged man who was doing things on a whim. He would say crazy things like the whole thing about he knew when he was going to die. He would say stuff like that. But at the same time, it wasn't like it was like cover for anything, but like in his in his lucid moments, like he was a monster. He was a sociopath, right? And mm-hmm. so like Idi Amin in this movie kind of comes across as a man who's just it's just vibes, right? Like just day to day, doesn't know what he's going to do next is really just running this country on like how I feel when I get up, 
you know, and like that's kind of like the general vibe that people think about with dictators. But like he had a he had a plan. He knew what he was trying to do and and did it. You know what I mean? Like in a in a very terrifying way. And I think what you kind of don't get a lot in this movie, like Nicholas, because we're seeing it from Nicholas's perspective. One, like my question was always, and what are the people of Uganda think about? what's happening it's so crazy it's so crazy they're treated like a crowd scene in star wars they're just like aren't the people of this planet beautiful and then you never hear from them but the problem the problem is all the time is like what do the people want what what am i going to do for the people and it's like you you show it you show them to us on mass but all we get to see is this beautiful performance from forrest whitaker and james mcavoy fuck the random women he encounters in uganda because even even like I think we're supposed to be getting from three sources David Yellow's character who mm. is barely in the movie he's he's around sometimes just to kind of wag a finger at his back of he, he flew to Uganda for four <laughs> scenes it, it's insane he, how you fly to shoot a movie and you have four scenes and one of, of them you get shot in the face. And, and you get shot <laughs> And I, it was crazy because he was like, my wife, his last words were, my wife. And I was like, what about her? What, what? <laughs> what about her? <laughs> and he had the same outfit the whole time. I know, like Joe, the same. Four scenes. They probably shot two of them per day. And he was wearing the same oh, jacket the whole damn time. He's like, jacket is safe. He's like, don't worry about it. We're going to watch it later. We got Kerry Washington, who is supposed to be offering some perspective, but really doesn't. Uh, I don't know what she thinks about anything besides Idi Amin is scary. Yeah. Like yeah, that's yeah. She's all afraid. Got from her. And that's another reason why like James McAvoy's character is so ridiculous because he sees when he meets Carrie Washington's character K that like Amin has moved her and her children away from his presence because he can't stand the sight of their epileptic <laughs> son. So he already sees like how callously he's treating his child his fresh flesh and blood and he's all like but everything's all good let me still pursue this woman like you have no regret i pictured that as he was uh he was like oh i created that like that's a that's a bad mark on me you know yeah like that came from me so that's well, a mark on me. I thought he was like, he came from her because she said, like, he's mad at me. He still comes and sees the kids, but he doesn't fuck with me because he doesn't even mention the second son. Right, right. First yeah. right. You're right. So I thought he, he blamed her for, you know, the outcome of the child because he had never sought to get the baby diagnosed. No. Or like, anything. like, like he didn't so do anything to like figure out what actually was going on he was just like that's a malady i don't even want to look at that well because i think the only other ugandans we get any sort of like interaction with is his you know other close advisor who really like the the movie tries to play it like he is a turncoat like he's like he's always plotting against Idi Amin and so like when you see him meeting with that random white person you're supposed to be on James McAvoy's side and suspect that maybe he is talking some kind of coup attempt or whatever mm-hmm. um and then that man gets killed right but it's like he's more so just kind of like you don't, you don't really know how to interpret him because you can't tell if he's like one of the few people trying to keep 
everything level, you know, and like advise him to like, okay, maybe we shouldn't do X, Y, and Z because yeah. like the the movie tries to insinuate that once he's dead, like everything just flies off the rails, right? Nobody is left to control media. Mm-hmm. I mean, and like, but we never really get that from that character because he's just kind of there to like look displeased mostly with what's happening he's uh um, he's he's shifty eyed dog at the end of the simpsons episode he's just there and, to have shifty eyes that that's it and, and jillian anderson is really the only one who offers any kind of like say on uganda as a country you know like in her brief explanations of like what's happening there or some of the past political history because Again, James McAvoy never thinks to ask, never thinks to say, hey, wait a minute. So the last president, they, why did they like him? And, and OK, and now this guy, do people actually like, you know, because you, you go around and like briefly in the beginning, you get some of these like parade scenes and, you know, people celebrating. But then we never really get him interacting with the people of Uganda again. You know, he's making <laughs> speeches to the press, but right. you know, like we never really see him like on a parade or you know anything like that we only see him at like events at the presidential estate and Mm -hmm. other things so like again james mcavoy never thought hey let me just go into the into the city at the very least like just go around (laughs) and like yeah (laughs) i don't yeah you know because it wasn't i got the sense that they were like watching him but not really you know what i mean like at the very early stages, I think he could have just dipped and there yeah. would have been oh, yeah. very little consequence. You know, once he was in too deep, it was like, yeah, we got your passport like you're stuck here. But um, I think it's I, I think one of the last things I want to touch on is just generally the treatment of of Africa as <laughs> as a place, as a setting, because like all the other African people in this movie there's Idi Amin's people who are like, yes, we love murder. We love rape. We love uh, <laughs> just general. Yeah. <laughs> just we general jam. horrible things. You know, Idi Amin is our guy. <laughs> Whatever he says goes. Love that man. Right. And then there's the other people on the other side who are kind of like, this is a scary man who's doing, you know, horrible things, but we don't have the power to do anything about it because he's the president and would just have us killed. Um, and that's really the two sides. Like, there's there's Africans who are like gung ho about just wanton destruction, and then everybody else is helpless to do anything about anything that's happening. And those are the two sides that we get. And I'm like, in real life, sure, yes, you know, there are, when you're under a, a dictatorship like that, it's not like okay, well, let's just have an election. You know what I mean? It's like, no, (laughs) obviously, you know, there's, there's danger involved and things like that. Um, But, you know, in reality, like people, people not happy with Idi Amin. Like he was definitely somebody that there were multiple attempts on his life and there were people trying to get him out of there. And like the fact that you never get any perspective from people on the ground I think really takes away from the movie because like yeah. the real danger is James McAvoy might get killed. Right. And we right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's the thing that's like, you're supposed to be hinging on is that this white doctor in Uganda 
who got himself into this situation might end up dead because of the situation he got himself into. <laughs> like that's those are the stakes of the movie. Like there's right, never right. like oh you know like what what happened to you know because like all the people who get killed get killed in such a matter of fact way that it's just like. It's almost like James McAvoy's like, phew, <laughs> wasn't me this time. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I think mean, it goes back to what you were saying, saying about the budget, because like clearly they didn't have all these different locations. So you really only see them in like the palace, like a little bit on like the like dirt road mm-hmm, area. Mm-hmm. No like oppositional, like grassroots organizer. There's no point at all where he goes kind of back to the hospital that he originally was supposed to be at. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't, you don't see any of that. He literally puts himself into a glass box because he feels comfortable there. And then the shit starts cracking and he spends his time spinning his wheels to try to figure out how to get out of there without getting cut down. So that's what you see. You really only see this very narrow perspective of this white man, like being someplace he had no business being in the first yeah. place. Mm. Well, I think what, what's what's interesting is when you hear a little bit of the behind the scenes, right? Like the way that they they talk about the movie, the director specifically. And brief brief pause here because this is something that I do want to talk about because it is interesting. Just when I when I think about these movies, we ask this question all the time. I do this research all the time. Hear from directors, hear from actors, hear from writers, but the people that I think on purpose we don't really hear from because then they would have to answer for things are the producers and the people who like fund the movies right because like going back to the original question why is this movie made like who who read the book and said yes make that into a movie like who heard the story and said yes make that into a movie right because even like six like they have to get the six million dollars from something like somebody's funding this and thinks that this is a good idea and so like you know my question is is still like did you hear it they're not going to come out and say it straight up but like and you were like that could win an oscar like we might get an oscar nomination and so like it's it's worth it to make this film as opposed to no, we really believe in the story about a fictional white man in Uganda it's during just... the reign of Idi Amin because it's because otherwise I don't really know why. What? Like specifically, what, what? Yeah, what, what are you pitching on? What are you pitching on? Like this is going to be a portrait of Idi Amin, so you'll have like we'll we'll be able to dive into you know what you said and with the we'll be able to dive into an idea of cult of personality like right. in a way where we can get close to him like we'll have this james mcavoy character who didn't exist uh get close to him so we can like observe what it's like to be around a dictator like that or is it just right. like we just want to have is it like a travelogue movie where we get to go and see uganda and like you know right. bring uganda to hollywood and, and see a little bit of that but does it it doesn't end up being like either one of those and kind of just ends up being this like cartoonish portrayal of somebody that the people who are going to go see this movie vaguely remember yes. as a public figure. Well, getting into the the behind the scenes, obviously we we have to play. Why the fuck you lying? Why you always lying? Oh my god! Stop fucking lying! Because 
it's yeah it's all a lie uh, <laughs> and it's well it's interesting to to see what they lied about right because garrigan is fictional and the book and the movie are basing them on this english-born uh soldier bob astles who was in Idia means actual like circle, but like wasn't in his inner circle and wasn't a doctor and wasn't like giving him high level advisory. Like, you know, he was like somebody I think he would kind of come to every once in a while. And yes, obviously part of Idia means whole thing is he is very anti-imperialist, anti, you know, like if you again, listen to him, the reason he calls himself the last king of Scotland and the reason that he likes Scottish people is because he feels like they were also under the rule of Britain and he himself was trying to free Uganda and, you know, in his mind, you know, the rest of mm-hmm. Africa from, you know, British and, and imperial rule. So claiming that he's the last king of Scotland, the leader of, of those revolutions, you know, back there and then here in Uganda was kind of, again, like this, I don't want to call it a marketing tool, but also like a branding it's a, thing. Like that's a should, branding. That, that's yeah, literally you know? what it is. That's how you build your, sadly, your personal dictator brand is like by creating like <laughs> catchphrases and ideas like magic. Right. Oh, make America great again. Oh, who doesn't love a right. red hat? People in New York City. <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> like uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's stuff like that just becomes like the important stuff of this movie sadly is like watch watching him create like this persona and watching how he deals with people in his inner circle to like see how exciting and interesting he is you know and that's the stuff that makes the movie but it's like i don't know how you pitch that i don't know how you that's what i was confused about i was like what is what is that because the the real i mean kept british you know people in his circle as almost like a status symbol like look this is how powerful i am is that white british men work for me right they're in my right right, you know what i mean and so it's not like and i listen to them (laughs) and they tell me (laughs) you know it's just like i I swear i swear yeah no it's just like but it's it's nice for me to you know have that because then you know i can again just from a general leadership standpoint i can even go to my people and say look I'm, I am I am so revolutionary that even, you know, the, our enemies want to come and work for me and be a part of my, you know, my council. And so Bob Astles was a, a man who moved to Uganda and was there for like 20 years on adventure is what yeah, they say. He was an adventurer. I don't know what that means. And and the day and age where you could just adventure in a foreign country for I can't wait to go a to bit of time. Call it an adventure. Man, I went to England, walked around. I was adventuring for 20 minutes, and then I came back. So, yeah, that's that's who he's based on. But the real-life Bob Astles also fucked around and found out. And, like, he was put in some of the worst Ugandan prisons on a whim just because Idi Amin was like, I, I think I think you're against me. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of what's missing from the movie is like that cat and mouse game of like right. if if we're gonna have that slow burn realization, like have it be very apparent that like, oh no, Idi Amin is fucking with you. Like you are <laughs> you 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 thought you yeah, you thought you were coming in to do X, Y, and Z. You're just a pet. 
you know what I mean? You're just a thing that he like throws out there to like, you know, so that's why he wants to keep you around. He doesn't care about you. Cause I think that was kind of the thing, even in that last scene, right. There's supposed to be almost like a little bit of sadness. That, I mean, that he mean? fully that, like, turned on him, quote unquote. Yeah, turned on that, him. that Nicholas would do that to him. That's crazy. Right? That actually, you know, I, I almost did laugh out loud. <laughs> he's, like, he, so he's in this. I guess it's a mall. What used to be a mall, uh, and they're like they beat him up because you know Edie found out that he you know fucked his wife and all this, and he's like you know telling him too closely to his face. He's like, I, I can't believe you would betray me. This da 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 da. All the while, his face is like broken and bloodied. I'm like, why are you? And, and, and somehow, Garrigan is like sad about this. He's like, I can't believe. Well, because what a friendship! He, what a friendship! Here's the thing that fucked me up, right? Like, what what Edian means says to him on the basis of the hooks is that, like, you know, the hooks would go in, and then like each scream that the person let out would be like evil coming out of them, right? Like the evil is escaping them, and Garrigan consciously doesn't scream because he's such a strong man <laughs> or there's no evil in him or I don't know how to interpret that but yeah. like like Friday or this man's wife like he's a, <laughs> pretty much like she's dead yes and also like you didn't like you didn't think that he would figure this out like you didn't think that he had soldiers watching his wife's every single move you're in the president's like, house <laughs> how you not oh my god the president like we even got a ring alarm. Like, come on, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and the statue just didn't make any sense. Like, he should have, if he wasn't going to die, like, at least, like, let him be in jail. Like, he killed almost a half a million people, yeah. but this white man escaped. No. Well, again, because plot, like, literally what they say to him is, like, I guess you have to live because people would be sad if you didn't. I don't know. I don't really, you know. There's no TV or broadcasting in 1970. Like, I'm so... Well, it's it's still <laughs> wild to me. Going back to that last scene, he's he's leaving on the plane, right? And Idi Amin is just watching. It's not like it's the 1800s. Like, there's a radio on the plane. Just say, hey, you know that guy? There's That's guy my doctor. <laughs> Don't let him get off the plane or turn the plane around. Or when you land, let everybody off the plane but him. Shoot him in the face. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. But it's like, I guess he was just like, there goes Nicholas. (laughs) (laughs) He should be like, just, I mean... I, I mean, it's, it's it's worse, but like the movie would have you think that he would do something like have a spear, just have a spear in his hand and just up and yeah. up and down shouting, ah, you, you betrayed me, white man, you betrayed me. <laughs> it's, it's comical because the stakes of the whole movie kind of end up lying on this last 15 minutes, kind of like the way the tension ramps up, everything's gone wrong. And this this plane that has randomly, you know, uh, kind of taken a detour here is his only ticket out in this like final sequence. It's so and convoluted. It's it's so convoluted <laughs> that you just don't believe that it happened because there's so many things that could be like you know how you ever you you guys have been on planes, right? Yeah. How, how many people have you see, do you see between getting out of the cab and getting on the plane? You've at least gone through four different sets of somebody checked on you before 
you got on the plane. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that this was a regular airport situation. Obviously, a a, a terrorist a terrorist situation. Also, yeah. Well, 2001 changed a lot because you know back in the day you could kind of just like scroll. Oh my gosh. Slide up. To- but the I, thing about it though, I remember, is, is, I remember the old days. <laughs> the thing that's wild though is like so. Idi Amin is is going live to the press and saying, you know, in a gesture of good faith, all non-Israeli people are going to be released and flown on my personal plane to, I don't know, like London or something. Which wasn't that that nice, by the way. It was a cargo plane. Y'all didn't have real (laughs) seats, guys. Okay, so. mm. But, like, even in that, so, like, what? They were like, who's... (laughs) Who's Israeli? <laughs> that was Raise wild. your hand. That was wild. It felt like the weirdest picky choosy moment because he was just like everybody who's not Israeli. And honestly, like they were all white. How would you have known? Well, because it's just like yeah, I guess the you're just going off honesty. But then like Nicholas, we didn't even get into this. So like David uh, a yellow like injects him with something to yes. like wake him up like he's knocked out so he like brings him back to life oh yes this is post this is post <laughs> he's been hung by his nipples probably an adrenaline shot i would like, assume he, yeah he he pulp fictions him and brings him back <laughs> and like bandages him up but then he like just i i i assume because they're in the next they're just in the next room they're just in the next room. i guess just walks out yeah And and what's crazy is on the way out, his top security guy runs right into him and he's like, where is that white man? And all he says to him, full confidence, I don't know. (laughs) Wow. But but it's like Nicholas would have had to have walked past 20 people. 20 African (laughs) men with guns. Because it's not like he doesn't have a hood up. He's not like in a hat and glasses. He's not like... He, his face is also cracked. Yeah, he's just, yeah, he's just it, it, it might not be bloody, but it is fucked up. Your dude is looking like the elephant man walking out this airport. And nobody's like, hey, wait a minute. Isn't that the guy we were just beating? <laughs> we were just beating on a guy. Remember? Remember the guy we were beating on? He's in the white. same place. He didn't change clothes. You know what oh. I mean? It's just like he just walks off oh, you mean onto the plane. Dang, that's crazy. <laughs> Let me go back and see if he's in that room. He's not in that room anymore. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, what are we going to do? So, yeah, I mean, wrapping up behind the scenes, unfortunately, you know, trying to get more and more into it, like other movies of this ilk, so much of the media is focused on just Force Whitaker and his character. So, like, he's talking about it, and, you know, he's really focused on just this is my role, this is, you know, kind of what I brought to the table um, and hearing him talk about Idi Amin is is interesting because I think he not only did a lot of research but like method acted the whole thing apparently like stayed in character the whole time. Um, I think there was a there was a part early on where he was trying to get the accent, and it's interesting now because like his Black Panther accent and this accent are different accents, very different. <laughs> I don't. I don't I don't know what happened, but apparently in, in this role, he kind of lost the accent early on because he, he knew he had the role months in advance before they started filming. So he like learned Swahili and was like actually like doing the accent constantly, but kind of lost it early on and then just decided to stay in character 
for the duration of the filming and like david ayello also has a story where like he saw him in the hotel <laughs> after a day of filming it was like hey forrest and he just kind of like grunted and like lunged at him uh and he was like that's the last time i talked to forrest with a girl on the set <laughs> like i was like i'm not getting into that anymore but what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of awesome but that's he like awesome. was he was in it like he just stayed in that for the duration of it and i think that pays off in the performance because 100 percent. we should we should we should give him his flowers in so much as like again before this performance i think a lot of people had a certain view of forrest Whitaker. even when he did stuff like ghost dog and other movies yeah. who's you know very soft-spoken understated and that's kind of what uh you know kevin mcdonald the director said when he auditioned him he was kind of like you know initially we weren't sure if he could get to that level because of you know the roles that he had played before little does he know that he is a trained shakespearean actor yeah. <laughs> like the man is legit legit um <laughs> and and they were talking about this movie the book and the film Idi Amin is supposed to be like almost like a Macbeth like figure right and so like Forrest Whitaker could do that and you can definitely see that's what he was channeling in the performance and really like is does paint the full picture right like he is menacing he is charming he is able to kind of move back and forth between those things in a single scene and really give you you know as much of a three-dimensional character as the movie was allowing him to you know embody um but even in that like there's certain things that Idi Amin did in real life that like they didn't even get into in this movie for example his second year in in power right like originally the leader of Uganda when the coup happened wasn't in the country right so that's why it was kind of a bloodless uh coup because he had left to go do you know a conference in another country Idi Amin comes into power basically takes over the country while the president is away um and things start off not great but like he's kind of he's he's playing things up in the way of like yeah you know new Uganda we're gonna do it right second year he allegedly has killed so many of Abute's like supporters that like he clogs a river with their bodies you know what I mean <laughs> like that's the level <laughs> of like violence and just sadistic you know treatment ethnically cleansed the the army you know like certain tribes that he didn't like like got them out of there the story of k unfortunately is true it, not obviously kerrigan because he's not real but she did have an affair with uh one of his physicians a ugandan physician but she actually died during a botched abortion performed by that uh physician and he then committed suicide right after that Oof. um so like this the story is i you know it's been reported enough that i guess maybe but i mean this is a crazy story that uh before he killed himself her lover did actually dismember her but then Idi Amin had her body sewn back together and then buried her so like again that's that's the man that we're talking about right and i don't Ugh. think as as strong as forrest whitaker's performance is i don't think he gets you to that place of like oh this is like a like one of the most yeah <laughs> yeah monstrous people you know in in history last thing though is like if you're wondering what happened to Edie me 
<laughs> for real. So if you want to know. So um, you know the the hostage situation is real, and he did you know actually kill some people during the hostage situation, uh, and that kind of really tanked his you know just reputation worldwide. Um, and <laughs> at that point, things like that would yeah things yeah. like that would. So he's he's pretty desperate to hold on to power. Um, and Uganda and Tanzania had had conflicts before. Um, but, you know, like had Tanzania specifically just didn't want to get into anything like that. Um, but one of his generals had kind of started some shit with some Tanzanian soldiers and like basically soft started a war uh, and like. Idi Amin was like, bet, I guess we're going to war. Like, I uh, <laughs> don't really stop. like Tanzania anyways. <laughs> no. uh, and, and so no. they started to to invade, um, you know, part of Tanzania and, like, had gone back and forth. But eventually Tanzania was not only, you know, able to overwhelm them, but also get allies to get involved. And they basically ran Idi Amin out of the country. Um, he fled to go to the Middle East and, you know, moved from Afghanistan to Iraq ultimately to Saudi Arabia and he just he just lived there until he died uh like 80 something years old but like the movie doesn't even really give you that like the ending of the movie is so strange because it's just like yeah there's there's like no ending for (laughs) Edie it's just like I almost killed a dude but he got away on my plane yeah Here's some like B-roll footage of the real. Yeah, here it comes. Here it comes. And then all the B-roll footage of him is like he just sitting there. And he and actually, funny enough, in those shots of him just sitting there, he looks way more menacing than Forrest looks throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Like that's silent. Even though they darken forest to skin and they darken carry. Let's talk about you, that. Yeah, yeah, we got we gotta have to Let's do talk it. about that. When you saw Forrest Whitaker for the first time with that makeup, your thoughts were I was confusion. <laughs> confusion. So I was like, you know, sometimes older movies they look a little grainy <laughs> or whatever. And I don't have the best vision. So <laughs> I had to just I it was I was shocked, but also not because I know Hollywood and what they do. Yeah, when I saw Carrie Washington, I I did double take because I was like, I knew she was in the movie, but I was like, so oh wait, that's Carrie Washington as a Ugandan woman. You know, and and in certain respects, you could say okay, right? Like certain people of the lighter persuasion (laughs) might be able to tan a little bit, add a little extra melanin on top. But not that much. Not that level. <laughs> not going from... These aren't light-skinned people. Like, I wouldn't consider yeah. Horace or Carrie to be quote-unquote light-skinned, so why couldn't they just wear their own skin? skin? Yeah, you're not going from scandal Carrie Washington to this Carrie Washington. <laughs> the problem with No matter Forrest, how long she's in the sun. The problem with Forrest makeup is, like, you can see where it ends. That's the problem. <laughs> it's obvious. I, it, the, the whole mouth region is just off. Like it looks like they just that's where you sweat. Yeah. That's where you sweat. <laughs> right. It's like it looks like it's a permanent goatee on him. <laughs> or you can see where like the sponge marks like stop. Hmm. It's and it's also obvious. pretty fancy, so they didn't have the actual color right. that they probably needed to like make a human skin color. Right. It looks like they don't um, know where they were going and they didn't well, want to cover up where they came from. And you know, I guess you can you can probably guess 
the people doing hair and makeup for this movie and uh yeah. let's say they did not have the facilities for that's this job so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man well get it what? <laughs> um yeah getting into just the behind the scenes in terms of the the acclaim for the movie it was very well received and again forrest whitaker went on to be nominated and win awards at the academy awards the british academy film awards critics choice movie awards Golden Globe Award, Screen Actor Guild Award, um, won Boston Society of Film Critics, Los Angeles Critics Association, Even National Boston Board of liked Review, him? National Society of Film Critics, New York Film Critics Circle, Washington, D.C. Area Film Critics Association, and about 23 major awards, you know. And so, like, he was there, you know. This was a big moment for him, and, you know, he really got elevated out of this. But again, like, the movie itself... I don't think really lives on in any real, you know, acclaim. And like even James McAvoy, who was coming up at the time, like I don't think people look at this and say, and this was the beginning of, you know, his his major time in Hollywood. I think, you know, this is definitely an earlier role for him, but it's not something I mean, again, the only people I think this really did anything for was Kevin McDonald as a director, you know, getting credibility to do more films like this. Well, Aramide, we're going to play our, one of our favorite games, which is going around and seeing what this movie got on all the various film review sites, aggregate review sites. So starting with IMDb, what do you think Last King of Scotland currently has out of 10 stars? Ooh, I would say eight and a half. Eight and a half. All right. Cameron, what do you think? That's a fair assessment. I'm going to go seven. Clean seven. seven. It's got a 7.6. Uh, okay. 190,000 reviews. I think a lot of people... Here's the, here's the tricky part, right? Because, like... I don't think people are coming into this with any historical context. So no. a lot of the... <laughs> <laughs> any of the negativity isn't necessarily geared at the historical accuracy of the film, right? Like, people aren't like, well, that didn't happen. And, like, it's not a real part. You know, I think it's just like, oh, you know, you know, the movie was a little boring here or there. Or, you know, like, people had certain small complaints. But the, the praise for Forrest Whitaker is, is universal. Um, and I think a lot of people, again, like, if you don't know anything about Uganda or... <laughs> just African history in general, like you might kind of look at this and say, oh, okay, like I learned something from this movie. But it, yeah, there there was, I mean, 7.6 is pretty high. It's not like in the upper echelon, but it is like people like that movie, you know, yeah. generally. Going over to Rotten Tomatoes, um, what do you think it has? Both the critic score and the audience score. I would say they're even, whatever they are, and I would say, and that's a, that's rare. That can be pretty rare. A lot of times, critics hate stuff that audiences love. Yeah. I would say, I would say seventy five percent. Okay, Cameron. I don't want to borrow yours, but uh, I think I'll, I'll just say stay at seventy. I'll still say it's seventy for both. Critic critic score eighty seven percent. Wow. <laughs> Audience score eighty nine percent. Why? Why this? Okay, what's so going on people here? really liked <clears throat> this movie. Again, I think not to. 
That's a big comparison. But I think I think there is a Joker effect where like the performance is is really what people are talking about, not the movie itself, right? And so I think critics loved his performance, obviously based on all the awards that he won. Um, and so, you know, really a lot of these reviews are centering on Forrest Whitaker's performance, you know, his, his captivating, his magnet, magnetic, he's controlling the screen. There are a few reviews that dissent, right? Like one review says it's a pit stop for white liberal guilt and neocolonial pillaging. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, there's another review from, you can see that it's a black man, Wesley Morris, for the Boston Globe, and he gave it two point or two two out of four stars but i guess the boston globe was like you can't read that review we're gonna take that down you can't, you can't be talking like that wesley he was like fine we'll take my talents to the new york times but finally landing at our absolute favorite amazon.com <laughs> what do you think what are rated out of out of what are they out of five stars what do you think the last king of scotland has on amazon I go with a four. Okay, Cameron. I'm gonna say okay. I'm gonna say four point seven five. Four point six. Uh, four point six out of five. Seventy-seven percent five-star reviews. Seventy-seven percent. Um, I mean, that I feel like that's what we should do as the game for Amazon. Is like, what's the percentage of five-star hmm. reviews? Um, yeah, that's to be expected. You know, again, I think a lot of people. This is this is where you get a little bit worried because there are a lot of people who I think, at least from these reviews, are taking this movie as historically accurate as a movie. A lot of people aren't very bright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I talked about at the beginning where it's kind of like you, you they need to be led into Africa. Like, leave yeah. me a white into Africa safely, but make sure I also escape at the end. Yeah. Like, fucking their women and then being able to escape on a plane. You get it? Yeah, like that. <laughs> well, if we're gonna, if we're gonna reimagine this movie, um, Haramide, what would you change about this film, specifically in order to remove the white savior element? So let's delete James. Um, I think it could have gone really interesting two ways. Like we could have just made this a traditional biopic, like starting from his childhood and like seeing how he became this like monstrous human being. I think that's always really, really interesting character studies like that. But I'm, cause I'm like very for like the black female gaze. I want to know how Carrie Washington's character Kay became his third wife. I want to know what she was doing before that. Like this son she has, she has this one son, he's probably really happy with her. And she has a second child who has epilepsy, how that changed. I think that would have been very, very interesting. And I also just like hated the fact that we got to see her like maimed and disfigured by, oh, yeah, like I just hated it. I so did not like, like that either. So much because they could have, they did not have to show that. Um, yeah. So I yeah. think her perspective would have been really interesting as well as just like, not from like Idi means like perspective, but like who was this person? Like who? How did he get here? That would have been really interesting as well. I I agree. Uh, <laughs> I think I think if yeah, that's I was thinking specifically about like her character and kind of like where we meet her, but also because the thing about 
people like Idi Amin is, on the one hand, yes, they are, you know, these public sociopaths, but they're also very classical abusers, right? When you think about, you know, abuser behavior and what it is when he is charming, right? So he probably was, you know, an attractive man in the sense of like not physically maybe but like the power and like yeah, yeah. you know kind of the the charisma the you know the the aura around him and you know when you meet her it seems as if you know like he's already got two wives and like she's got two kids that are maybe like six or yeah. you know yeah. around that so it's it's not even like she's the newest wife like yesterday like she's been with him you know for for a time and so just what what is that like? Like, what was that like, you know, when you're coming into this, like already knowing that you're the third wife, presumably, and like probably even in that, like you might be his wife, but that's not stopping him from doing right. a myriad of things. Right. You know right. I mean? right. <laughs> she, he goes from being like the general of the army to being the president. So yeah. what did that change in her life? All right. Because, like, when, when they get to the compound, I'm sure there was a very honest, like, you live here, you live here, you live over there. <laughs> now, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't get to choose the rooms. Like, he was like, and take take that outside, right? Um, and so, yeah, there's such an interesting story with her. But just, like, all all of the wives. Like, it would have been if you took all three of them and gave them each their own individual story to kind of, you know, see how, because what isn't, yeah, what isn't explained or, or talked about is like when he flees the country, I don't think he takes his whole fear. I I think he's gone and you are now there, you know? So like even that story of like, okay, you were the wife of the dictator who then fled the country. And now you're still in Uganda. You know what I mean? Like, what do you do now? Like, that's also more interesting than a privileged doctoral student who spun a globe and decided he was going to go to Africa. Go to Uganda. Uh, Good God. Cameron, what do you you think? Um, I kind of had an idea, but then you talked about the stories of the wives, and I kind of thought about it as, like, I don't know if you guys remember the the Steve Jobs movie, but that Mm. movie was kind of like this triptych of large moments in Steve Jobs mo- in Steve Jobs life like when he invented the Apple II when he unveiled the iPhone like moments in their life and I kind of thought about like what if we had like three acts where you had one act was a seminal moment with one wife second act be another seminal moment and third be another one and you kind of get this portrait of how people who were literally married to this man were were able to watch you know, and build this, build this personality of himself, build this acclaim, and kind of watch like from the royal seat how like how he was perceived publicly. I think I would be interested in a movie like that where we get to see like their view of him, and therefore we get to see the public's view of him. Um, yeah. Something a little. I mean, it, yeah, it's a little less like. I think this movie was trying to go for like horror movie, or at least like big moments which backfires yeah. in its face like multiple times like fart jokes uh <laughs> horror movie corpses like that stuff is keep that in a goofier like, movie 
the scene so the scene where we we see okay it's been dismembered like he walks into the hospital and all you see in here is just a single african woman wailing in the hall and then he just like brushes by her right that's crazy because it's symbolism (laughs) no no is that her mother like who is it right it's like is it supposed to be a person that's directly related to her or is it like just straight up symbolism Either way, he walks right the fuck by her on that hallway. And then when he's going downstairs, there's there's like a sea of black faces uh-huh. that he kind of like pushes through to go see this horrific scene. And it's just like, I don't know what you were trying to frame with that, you know, but like none of it came off the way that I think you think it did. And the fact that he didn't even take it seriously, really, when he told her that you know she was pregnant he just acted like it was like oh like this is like a little upsetting but yeah girl, I but i can't i can't yeah. help you. <laughs> what am i like, supposed I can't to do man this baby off is this man's baby yeah you're a white <laughs> she was like can you can you do the operation for me and he was like i mean <laughs> i can't do you know because then she was like, let's go to the hospital. And she was like, you idiot, that's his hospital. <laughs> and then he still tried to do it. And David Oyelowo, like, basically cussed him out. Like, you're like, are you, you kidding fool. me right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to ranking this movie on our Caucasity ranking scale. We've got three levels of Caucasity for you, starting with Shorts in the Winter. And that's being from Chicago. You certainly know white people in shorts in the winter being in new york you also know white people with shorts yep. in the winter so you got that firsthand view of just like you know it's january let's say you're going to the bodega you're you're fully covered up you know what i mean you got you know boots you got you know your north face but um you know marshall from up the street you know he's he's got a different idea <laughs> shorts are still in in the rotation for him shorts but you know he's got the hoodie and maybe a jacket on over that but like definitely shorts maybe even flip-flops you know depending on the day and this is the level where it's not hurting us but we do have questions you know what i mean there's a curiosity happening here maybe you didn't you know get get deep into things but you you were getting close to starting something that you maybe weren't prepared to to finish Cameron, what's the second level? The second level of caucasity is this movie's touching my hair. So th- mm. at this person, this person saw your lovely braids or your afro and was like, my hair doesn't do that. I want to find out how yours <laughs> And it reaches over the table, instantly knuckles deep in your hair while asking the question. And you're already traumatized at this point. And basically, this is to say, it's not a full violence, you know, they're not maiming you, but they're definitely hands in your hand. And at this point, you're probably a little pissed off. <laughs> the third level this week is, there's two and, and they both have to do with college. Yeah. <laughs> One is, as you, as you may have known, the Women's Final Four uh, championship game happened and people had a lot of opinions about Angel Reese. Uh, <laughs> had a lot to say about her. Not a lot to say about Caitlin Clark, but but definitely a lot to say about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, one person who had a lot to say was the first lady, Jill Biden, who thought, hey, you know what? Even though the other team lost. Bad. They lost, they lost bad. bad yes. Why don't they I looked that up also come to the White House? Because 
that's historically how this usually happens is that the team that also lost should come to the white house even though they didn't win, win the game the championship immediately people are like uh what no <laughs> specifically Andrew Reese who said uh no uh <laughs> to even caitlin clark and the the head coach of uh iowa was like yeah nah we're not doing that because that's weird one but two <laughs> that lsu should have the moment because they won the championship first time ever in the history of all this yeah yeah <laughs> and it's and it's also very telling that lsu is basically an all-black team uh and iowa's more or less an all-white team <laughs> and the the optics of that and the optics of hey let's just let's give them some praise too even though it's wild participation <laughs> trophy yeah the, yes it is it is actually a participation trophy and it's it's so on the nose. It just it's more telling of what's going on in Dr. Yeah. Joe Biden's head than it is about like the state of sportsmanship. It's just like, damn, you you really couldn't let them have that moment, could you? No, that's unfortunate. And even I mean, we we're not even getting into all the things that people have said about Angel Reese over the last Ooh. couple of days. But uh, our, white, our young assist is holding her own. So. Yeah, white white people have had a lot of opinions. Also, in college news this week at Harvard University. Four black students got what is called swatted, which is where somebody calls the police and calls in a basically a, a very dangerous situation in which a SWAT team is necessary to show up on four black students at Harvard University in which the campus police showed up to their dorm 4 a.m. in the morning, knocked on their dorm told them to come out at gunpoint into the hallway, led them into another dorm while they searched that dorm to see if there was any, you know, dangerous weaponry. It was basically insinuated that somebody was planning to do harm to students at the university. Come to find out it was all a hoax. Somebody called that in and uh, the university just kind of. It okay. Yep. Whooped. Kanye shrugged it. You know, and then, yeah. You, yeah, the kind of our bad, oops. you know, oops, oops on that. Uh, you know, the the four students, all black women, were rightfully upset. Yeah. And rightfully upset at the university. They should sue uh, for their for not... fucking tuition. <laughs> like, I want my tuition. I just want it free. I'm gonna go here for free now. You know, we're we're at least hoping for you know the the because. Most students found out about it through just like social media and other things. Like there wasn't a thing that was. Oh, they didn't release an apology or. No, not that the president didn't say, hey, this is not the Harvard University way, <laughs> you know, so I'm sure after the fact statements and things were made. But at the time that, you know, this happened, which was just this past Monday, not so much. So this is the level of, you know, exactly what you're doing, right? There's no hiding it no shenanigans no covering it up this was done on purpose to do harm and there's there's no you know disguising it in any way <laughs> so out of those three levels what do you think the last king of scotland got the third level of caucasity <laughs> to do harm you literally invented a white man <laughs> to tell this thing. you invented him a, a fictional white man should have stayed in Scotland and looked at old white people's bunions. <laughs> well, because it's not even just that they invented a white man. They invented a white man who did all of that and then invented a way for him to get out of it. 
Yep. Yep. <laughs> Cameron, I could maybe guess, but what do you? What would you say? Yeah, this, this is, movie. Yeah, this this is Harvard calling the SWAT team on me. This is Dr. Joe Biden saying, "Oh yeah, you won, but also the, the losers, the girls you beat, you, they should also show up too." Yeah, this is. It's so gross. It's so gross, and like it feels more like a horror movie for the people of Uganda because they are the ones who get like the funhouse mirror turned on them. The whole, yeah. all the murders are grotesque for them. Oh, it isn't so bad for those people. And meanwhile, like James McAvoy's character literally gets to hop and skip into Uganda. And then like at the last sign of terror is like, okay, I've had my fun. Goodbye. Yep. Bye. I hope you had fun. Like that, that's crazy to me. It's like, it's like diet, colonialism it's like i tried it out i couldn't do anything over there i had to get the hell out of there when it beat my ass like it's that's not cute that's not cute yeah yeah i mean i just i have to play <laughs> white people are crazy y'all hear me <laughs> because we didn't even talk about the line that james mcavoy says when the the, the intelligence guy is talking to him at the pool and he says this is africa you meet violence with violence right <laughs> i was like i was like i can't believe you had the balls to say that that's crazy so you know it's just that that energy and even at the end where like they they try to do a weird like hey we know we know right so we're gonna force <laughs> winters goes gonna say it like he's gonna say it to him he's gonna say hey you can't just come to africa and like you know try to save the natives and and walk around because like we're real people we're very real and we're gonna show you how real we are by sticking meat hooks into you and hanging you from the ceiling only for him to be rescued maybe like 10 minutes later yeah uh, i was about to so... say 10 minutes or two years i don't know the movie doesn't know either so even even in the movie it's trying to have its cake and eat it too it's trying to say hey no we're with you because you know the white savior thing we get we get it and it's bad you know also we're gonna do it we're gonna now. do it though like, I, I like i like that i mean you're not supposed to do it but i am totally into that now you know so it's like there's no there's you know there's there's ways where this is less offensive it still would be bad yeah um but you know if again james mcavoy was like oh no i i came to africa to do this, not to like shack up with a dictator, but like, I'm just sowing my oats. Like I'm here, you know, I, this is all a game to me. I'm playing around. I'm fucking around. Hey, Edie's my man. We're going to go and do whatever. And then it was like, oh no, like he didn't understand what he was getting into. And like all of a sudden found himself in a, in a prison being tortured, <laughs> killed, you know, whatever. It was like, you know, that, that should be the story. But the fact that they invented a way for him to escape from everything that he did and 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 also be you know because like david yellow at that that last scene says something to him to the effect of like you should die but you yeah. have a chance to redeem yourself or yeah. like yeah no yeah you know and that. it's like why 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 should he have that opportunity why yes why what? is it essential <laughs> that in this moment you must clean him up and you must get him out of this country so he can be the speaker for you on your behalf right you know like just literally it's literally based on him being a white man and 
they would believe him. Yo, that because of that. That's like that's like <laughs> Martin Luther King being like minutes before he got shot, being like, "Hey, white man, G- Gerald, Daryl, tell America about my dream. Tell them before I bang." <laughs> and then, like, you know, get come on, come on, come on. My wife, my wife, <laughs> but my wife. Uh, <laughs> oh fuck! This is awful. This uh, is awful. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that is gonna do it for us. Aramide, uh, tell everybody. First of all, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yes, thanks for uh, being really here. Appreciate it. This has been great. Tell everybody where they can find you online. What you got going on? And if you have something to recommend to people to watch instead of Last King of Scotland, <laughs> it it could be anything. It doesn't have to be even you know related to the film. Um, well, you can find me on all social media platforms and at my website at A Word with Arami Day. It's just a word with my first name. Um, my latest piece for, or my first piece, but my latest piece for Variety is up, nice. is a review of Transatlantic, which is out on Netflix, I believe, on tomorrow. Um, also, I have a Rotten Tomatoes interview with A.B. Rockwell and with Tina Gordon, who is the director of Praise This. That's out, I think, right now. Um, yeah. I mean, I just keep up with me on all the socials. I'm learning how to do the talk in my 30th plus years. Um, so TikTok has been fun for me. Um, recommendations definitely go see a thousand and one, go see a little Richard. I am everything. I believe I got an email about that, so that should be out really soon. And also, Rylan, which is currently yes. on Hulu, so those are really, really fun. And Abbott Elementary, because you know, Pokey Line. Roger <laughs> Hansen is expected to make an appearance, so we're excited for that. Cameron, what, what do you have? You can find me on <laughs> Twitter as long as that is still happening, I guess. Um, I don't have a blue check, so I don't know if they don't even let me on the Oof. site in a couple weeks. <laughs> um, but find me there at IG at the Blipster eleven thirty eight for some foolishness. And uh, yeah, I got I got a couple projects in the cooker. There's some cool stuff happening, but probably can't talk about it for a while. So till then, follow me for the foolishness. And nice. uh, oh, a recommendation. Let's let's. Um, oh, I've been plowing through this Michelle Yo on Criterion Channel, and mm. it, can I tell you just just like it, it's like a treasure box that you just you, you just it was sitting in the corner of the room the whole time, and you had no idea. I just watched The Stunt Woman, which uh, co-stars nice. her and Sammo Hung. If you know who Sammo Hung is, you know he was best friend, besties with Jackie Chan back in the 80s. He even had his own dumb CBS show in the late 90s, 2000s, martial law. But uh, this stars them as people trying to make a stunt movie and uh, stuff goes off the rails. It's just a really fun hour, 40 minutes. Check it out. Nice. Uh, and I'm Jordan Clark. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JRSosa18, JRSosa18. Um, the Milestone uh, Talent Showcase from DC Comics is coming out on May 30th. Hey. Uh, so I have a static stock story in that. And then other comic work is coming out, uh, but I can't talk about that yet. But you'll know about it when I can let you know about it. Recommendations. It's been a while since I've seen a movie that I was like I was about to say yes, that was good I, because you told me about Ant-Man Quantumania <laughs> we all were told about Ant-Man Quantumania but from what I've heard I'm going to watch it this weekend people are saying 
good things about the D&D movie. It seems like that's a movie that has exceeded expectations in a way. <laughs> and like, I'm for it. I play Dungeons and Dragons. I think it's a good time. But, you know, the movie itself, the original D&D movie, hey. you should watch just to see how bad that got. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that was... It had Marlon Wayne's in it for some yeah. reason. And Jeremy Irons, right? Jeremy Irons is in that yeah. Thing? yeah. And it felt like the Mortal Kombat movies where they were yeah. like, I think I've played that game. Let's just go from there. <laughs> Somebody described it to me, yeah. and now I think we can make a movie. <laughs> this movie sounds more like they've done, you know, the reason, like people who play the games and enjoy it. But it also seems like, you know, very much so. The Marvelification of films sometimes can be a little exhausting because mm-hmm. everybody's trying to capture that that magic. Um, but I, I think from what people are saying, this is like they've they've kind of got close to the formula without it being derivative. So if you are just looking for a fun movie to watch, a good a good way to spend some time, like definitely check that out. I would say. Um, but if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter. Again, no blue check, but we're we're still around. <laughs> At white underscore pod. You can also find us uh, at whitepeoplewoldsaveypod at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week with more Caucasity. Peace. Peace. Bye, everyone. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. Can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. Can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. Can't save us. We don't wanna be saved.